The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. He refused to do any more testing. He said I didn't have MS. I feel like that part of that was because I'm black because of, you know, this stereotype that black people didn't have MS, which we all know is a lie now, because right now I think black women are the largest demographic in the U.S. that are getting diagnosed with MS right now. So I took myself to the MS Center of Atlanta and met the most wonderful doctor who listened to me, believed my story. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Living into your core values is easier said than done. And my guest today, Dr. Taylor, is making it happen. She is a doctor of internal medicine living with primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Diagnosed 15 years ago, she has been living with PPMS for seven years. Do you know that only 10 to 15% of people with MS have primary progressive? We're going to get into that a little bit today, but recently Dr. Taylor decided to stop practicing medicine to focus on holistic wellness as an MS educator. Her goal is to help women with MS attain a lower level of disability by addressing the root cause of their illness. She herself has explored what she says is all the things um, before seeking any positive results. And I'm curious to discover more about what this change has meant for Dr. Taylor and how holistic medicine has benefited her and how her core values of authenticity and spirituality have impacted her journey. Before we chat it up with Dr. Taylor, I just want to make sure that I remind everyone listening about the MS Walk in Orlando on April 2nd at Blue Jacket Park. We will also be streaming live for everyone who would like to join us that can't be present in Orlando. My link tree and my Instagram bio and the Thriving Over Surviving podcast website have all the details, including location, events that I'm hosting that day, and how you can get your t-shirt to support us. So without further ado, let's chat it up with Dr. Taylor. Hi, how are you today? I am well, Edie. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Yes, I'm so happy. And I wish that everybody could see your smiling face as we (laughs) sit here. It's lovely. It's lovely. You know, you have these people from afar that you speak with online, but to get to see them in person is a completely different story. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So let's get right into it. You've had MS for quite some time now. Tell us something from your diagnosis story that stands out to you that you would like to share with the listeners. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a long, long journey, even though I didn't actually know 
what the journey was till a few years ago. I have had MS symptoms since as far back as I can remember as a kid, having pain in my ankles and my wrists and all that, and thought maybe it was something everybody else had. I didn't complain about it much, but it was there. The first time I would see a doctor about it was in the UK in my late teens. And at that point, they said I had tenosynovitis, which is basically inflammation in the tendons in your wrist. So I was like, okay. But it was to where it disturbed things that I was doing. Like I was trying to learn how to type. I couldn't because my wrist hurt and all of that stuff. By the time I was in medical school, I was diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome. And I actually ended up having surgery on my left wrist for that which even though it helped the acute problem where, you know, I was losing function in in my left hand and all that, it did not help the chronic symptoms. And there's always some explanation with Western medicine. They're like, oh, you probably just grew more scar tissue as you healed, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. But I, at that point, I was in med school, like I said, and I decided that I was going to not go with a surgical specialty when I, you know, later on, because I didn't know what would happen to my fine motor skills. So basically it's been with me my whole life, you know, little disability, even though I didn't realize it was a disability. And over the next few decades, it was one physical problem after the other. But, you know, PPMS doesn't do those things that take you to the ER like remitting relapsing does when you have that, you know, first flare or attack and maybe you get blind in one eye or you wake up and you're paralyzed on one side. You don't get that with primary progressive. So a lot of times it takes a long time to diagnose because I've talked to several people now that I've met, you know, other people with PPMS and they're like, you know what? I've had this since I was nine and I was told it was arthritis. Then I got diagnosed at 17 or, you know, whatever. So it went on like that until 2014. It was 2014 January. It was a month after I turned 40. We'd been to Dubai for a party. Everything was all good. And then everything crashed. I started having low back pain, which I thought, okay, yeah, I've had low back pain before. But then it went into my left leg. And within two weeks, I was dragging my left leg and it was just the pain was excruciating and that whole side of my body just didn't function as well. So of course I went to the pain doctor, we did the MRIs, they're like, oh, disc herniation. And I'm like, how did that happen? I didn't injure myself. I've worked out six days a week for a whole decade, so I'm not overweight. How? And the explanation is always like, oh, it's normal. This is around the time when people get these things. You're 40 now, people get it in their 40s. You know, just always... These things are not real answers, but, you know, Western medicine has convinced themselves that, yes, that is the answer to that. So um, I did all the epidurals and the physical therapy and all of that stuff and got a little bit better and then worse again. So I ended up having surgery on my low back. And that's when everything really went downhill because I had a complication called a CSF leak. Basically, your cerebrospinal fluid is leaking into a sac. And, it, you know, so it's this swollen thing in my low back. And um, for three weeks, I tried to convince the neurosurgeon that I had a complication and he did not agree. He said I was able to function. I'm like, it's because you don't know me. If you know me, I will function unless I can't get up, you know. And I'm a doctor. We do that, you know. So anyway, (laughs) I ended up having um, a seizure while reading to my daughter's second grade class. Traumatized the whole 
you know, class of six, um, second graders, you know, they were like six years old or whatever. Anyway, they ended up taking me to the hospital. And within two days, I had another surgery where he did confirm that I have that complication and he had to repair that leak. And then it took me three and a half months to heal. And I was just never the same again. When I went back to work, I could only work half days. And that's where the real disability began. Still didn't have a diagnosis yet then. But over the next two years, I came to realize that I was dealing with multiple sclerosis. I realized it myself. None of my doctors put it together. And the first neurologist I went to, you know, did one or two MRIs, didn't show anything too crazy. I didn't have any obvious MS lesions then, even though I did have some white matter stuff going on, but it wasn't shouting at him. So he was like, nah, he refused to do any more testing. He said, I didn't have MS. I feel like that part of that was because I'm black because of, you know, this stereotype that black people didn't have MS, which we all know is a lie now. Because right now, I think black women are the largest demographic in the U.S. that are getting diagnosed with MS right now. So I took myself to the MS Center of Atlanta and met the most wonderful doctor who listened to me, believed my story. And even though every test he did did not point classically to MS, and I didn't fit the McDonald's criteria, What he went ahead and did was everything he could to rule out everything else. And then after we ruled out all of those, he called it and he was like, if anybody else sees your chart, they're going to say, I made this up. But yes, I'm going to call it. You have primary progressive MS. So that that was how I got diagnosed. (laughs) That is a wild story. Okay, so I have some questions. What is the difference between relapsing, remitting, and primary progressive, like how does it present in patients differently? Yes. So remitting, relapsing, a lot of times people will have the optic neuritis that will cause either blindness in one eye or at least some serious vision issues that will have them definitely either go to the ER or go see someone immediately. Some people wake up and they're paralyzed on one side of their body. So they're thinking stroke, you know, they definitely end up in the ER. So the things that happen with remitting, relapsing are things that you can't ignore for the most part and things you can't really work through. You have to get seen. Some people, it's the numbness or the pain or whatever, but when you're numb on one side of your body or your whole lower extremities are numb, you can't even walk properly because the sensation is part of your balance and all of those things. So yeah, people have those kind of symptoms. And then when they get the MRI too, they have clear-cut lesions and they fit in into the classic McDonald's criteria because of course, that's what most people with MS have. Only about 10 to 15% have primary progressive. So really everything out there is kind of tailored more toward remitting relapsing. Now, like I described with um, primary progressive, you have all these little things that bother you. Many people go for decades and don't get a diagnosis because, but the thing is it keeps progressing and you don't get better because with remitting relapsing, you get the flares and you get better. Unless you progress into the secondary progressive stage, then you start to accrue, you know, disability. But usually you get better when you're not flaring. And um, another thing was at the point when I was diagnosed in 2016, there was no medication for primary pro- progressive MS on the market yet. Everything that was on the market was, was for remitting relapsing. Do you take anything now? I, I do now. Yes, I do now because Ocrevus came out. I was diagnosed 2016 October and Ocrevus came out. It was supposed to come out that December. They pushed it and it came out March of 2017. Now, 
since I got disabled in 2014, I'd been doing, you know, dietary supplements, the rehab and all of those things. But the first time I actually had medication to target it was when Ocrevus came out. And it took a while, but over the next few years, it was able to halt my progression along with everything else that I was doing, which like I always say is all the things. (laughs) All the things. Yes. So let me ask you this then. When you got those surgeries, would you say that they were unnecessary? Could you have still functioned without them? You know, I've been asked that a few times and thinking about it, it's hard to tell because I really did have the disc herniation and I I didn't need a fusion, thank God, but they had to go in there and do a discectomy and shave off some things. So, but honestly, I don't know that the majority of what I was feeling was really from the surgery because a few days after the surgery, the pain and the numbness and everything in my left leg was back. And I was like, so it made me feel like the surgery didn't work. So it is possible that if we had known that I had multiple sclerosis and dealt with that instead, that I may not have needed the surgery. You can't tell though, right? It is possible. (laughs) No, we would never tell. We can't go back in time, unfortunately. But (laughs) you're so positive about all of it and laughing while you tell this story, which makes me think that you have, you know, just this great mindset toward all of it too. I do. I do. One of the things that happened when I finally got the PPMS diagnosis, I went back and had to really look it up like, okay, where are the people with this thing? Because I don't know anyone. What are, what are their lives like and all that? And I saw what came up were a lot of people in Europe that had a really bad quality of life. People who had petitioned their government for um, euthanasia, they wanted to kill themselves because they didn't want to live anymore. And one person actually literally just went on a hunger strike and stopped eating until she died. So that's what I saw. But then I decided that was not going to be my reality. I just, I was just like, okay, no more Google searches. I'm going to do all I can to be better. <laughs> I just, I just refuse to accept that as my reality. And that is key. That is important. Your mindset. Yes, it is. And even on your website, you denote that you feel as though you are a thriver as a result of all of this. Yes, yes. Absolutely. And that's why you're here today. (laughs) So let's talk a little, (laughs) let's talk a little bit more about this transition that you're making from the internal medicine piece to the holistic. Yes. What, can you tell us a little bit more about what prompted that and what's the transition been like for you? Yes, it's it's like two sides to it. The first side is it became really hard to continue to practice because even though physically I had made progress and, you know, gotten out of the scooter and the walker and all of that, cognitively I had declined and I just, I didn't have the time to even do the things that I knew that I needed to do to address it. Because even though I was working part-time, when you're doing things in slow-mo, it still takes full-time hours, if you know what I mean. So it's like, even though I see patients only for half a day, it still takes me all day to do the documentation and all of that. And it just got to where an hour, two hours into the day, it was just really, really hard to think. I fought it for a long time because I, you know, I, I was like the working injured. That's what I like to call it for like seven years. 
And one of those things is because I felt like I had purpose in what I was doing. Because as I was learning about the holistic modalities, I was sharing with my patients. I was seeing people for entire visits where I would not prescribe a medicine. I would just say, um, take this um, supplement, do this and do that. And they were happy. They were bringing their friends to come see me. And, you know, it was well received and all that. So I'm like, but I'm doing stuff here. But you know what? Sometimes your purpose shifts. And I think it was time for me to fully move into my new purpose, which is in the MS world. So, and like I've been saying, you know, about Western medicine, it really had become hard to continue to practice that kind of medicine because I just kept finding out more and more how much we are missing from Western medicine. I really feel like we need to have a balance. Yes. You know? Yes, I, I, I agree. I need to listen to all sides. Yes. Yeah. In order to really make a decision. And because at first, I just went to my neurologist and did whatever he said. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I didn't know any better. Yep. And not that that's not a good course of action. Mm-hmm. It, it, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like there's a lot more to it that I can do to improve my overall health that will lower my inflammation that has nothing to do with taking a medication. Does that make sense? Yes, that completely. And I'm on the same page with that. See, with me, I didn't have the typical experience of a new diagnosis where, you know, they had to educate me on what it was and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not sure what that would have felt like for my doctor, but generally he's a very positive person. I tell him everything I'm doing. I tell him about, you know, the walls protocol. I tell him about supplements. I tell him about biohacking devices. He's never stopped me from doing anything I wanted to do. He checks my vitamin D levels when I want it checked. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even tell me how much to take. He just lets me do whatever I want. So mine is not a typical experience, but I hear people saying that their doctor literally told them, okay, your life is basically about to change drastically. You're going to end up in a wheelchair, blah, blah, blah. And it's like doom and gloom. And I have no idea how doctors can take away hope like that. Because for me, even if I diagnose someone with cancer, I could never take away anyone's hope. I'm like, even if Western medicine does not have the answer to what you are dealing with, do you believe in God? Do you believe in a higher power? Tune into that. That's what I've always told my patients. You know, I never ever took away anyone's hope like, oh, you know, there's nothing that can be done about this and you're going to die. So I think that speaks a lot to your core value of spirituality and how you live into that. Can you share us a little bit more about how spirituality has impacted how you handle your MS? Yes. For me, it's, it's been my rock, really, having that higher power, you know, believing in God and being connected to God and everything, and having that belief that he has the best in store for me. And knowing that, you know, I just I just always felt like I could get better. I never felt like I was going to just go downhill or or whatever. So yeah, that has definitely helped. And it's it's given me resilience and grit and just everything I needed to face this this monster, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, because it's overwhelming, it isn't is. it? And we don't have all the answers. Yes. If we don't know how it's caused necessarily. Mm-mm. And we can't just say, poof, it's gone. Even when we're feeling good, it's still there. Yes, exactly. Sometimes it's just the weather. Like, was it yesterday? I know it was two days ago. Anytime the barometric pressure shifts, like there's a huge shift, I still feel it, you know. I don't feel it as much as I used to. I may not be completely stuck Mm. in the bed, but I may not leave the house because I just don't feel that great. Yeah, it's true. And I used to feel so guilty about that, Mm -hmm. you know, try and like explain. And now I don't do that anymore. I'm like over it. I just say, I don't, I don't feel good today. Mm -hmm. We'll have to do something another time. And Mm -hmm. those people that are close to me understand. Mm -hmm. I hope that's the same for you. Yes. Yes. Just being able to stand your ground and standing your truth, you know, which, which is the authenticity part. And it's just really freeing when you can be yourself with, you know, with yourself, because sometimes we lie to ourselves too, with yourself, and with everybody else. And also it has really helped me to connect deeply to the MS community in general in a very rewarding way. I can imagine, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're living your true self and you're able to speak what you've learned and share that knowledge with others. So I can imagine that's been pretty empowering for you. It has been empowering and it has been rewarding just to know that, you know, even if it's one person that likes something I said in a post or whatever, that's good enough for me, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you're moving into this holistic medicine place. I know that you're developing some resources for the MS community. Can you share what that is going to look like? Yes. I'm actually in the process of creating an online course about MS recovery. And basically, I'm just going to pour my heart and soul into it about all the things that have helped me. And it will really target people with progressive MS. Now, anyone with MS is going to benefit regardless, but it will have a lot of stuff in there that I had to figure out because I don't want other people to have to go through what I went through to find it. Plus, a lot of people don't even have the means to do that. Some of the spaces where I learned some of this stuff, I was in there because I'm a doctor and I was able to hang out with people in the holistic wellness space. They're not things that are necessarily out there like that. So I want to, you know, package everything together so that people have um, more options. Now, I'm not coming up with a new diet plan or anything crazy like that. I I know that we, we, I think we have enough of those already, but it's just the other stuff. Because for some of us, the nutrition was just not enough. And we had to do a lot more than the nutrition. Because for me, I'm on the third level of the Waltz protocol. For a long time, I tried to stay in the, you know, in the Waltz paleo, which is the second level because a lot of people, you know, even Dr. Wall stays in that zone more than she does in the third level. But for me, until I, you know, stepped it up and actually got to the third, the highest level, I didn't see as much benefit. It's those <laughs> macronutrients, right? I <laughs> those know. Ma- those specifics that you the, need. Exactly. Okay. Those specific things and stuff. So, it's just a lot of details and it's it's going to be all there. I'm so excited just thinking about it and working on it because I just don't see anything like that out there. 
Yes, and we can all benefit from your prior experience too, especially coming from both sides of the medical field. So let me ask, do you eat the six to eight cups of kale every day? What does that look like for you? Well, the thing is, um, because when you're doing the Walls Paleo Plus, you're intermittent fasting, and for the most part, you're eating just twice a day, not three times. So I actually don't have to do nine cups of, of greens and all, all the rest of it. I, I can do six rather than nine. Because I'm just, I'm eating less in general. So yeah, it's really, really hard to get nine in there. But yes, do I do the six? Absolutely, I do. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes more, sometimes more. <laughs> I did, I did the protocol. So I did the, the least restrictive okay. level. Okay. Okay. So basically, you know, no gluten, no dairy, mm -hmm. the sugars, the processed foods, the alcohol, all of that was gone. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to adhere to all of the other components, mm -hmm. which were wonderful. Like if you take the time to really um, plan out your meals mm -hmm. and cook and everything, it, it's great. Mm -hmm. But I found that I wasn't hungry and yep. I was supposed to eat and I didn't want to. Do you have that same issue? I do. I do. But I didn't have that until I got into the third level, though, because you're eating a lot more of the good fats. And because you, when you're intermittent fasting and all that, you really just don't get hungry. You just have to know when it's time to eat. You don't get hungry. Sometimes I, I yes. kind of forget and I look at the time like, oops, I kind of need to eat dinner. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And sometimes I'm like, I can't skip a meal. And so I'd really have to plan that out. Now, when you started getting into that third level, mm -hmm. what things did you notice in your body that were changing for you? What shifted immediately when I got into the third level was fatigue. The fatigue level, there was a shift with that. And even the, even though I still have cognitive stuff, there was a little shift in that too. And that's that's still a process because, you know, there's getting rid of toxins, there's sleeping enough. And, you know, sleep is still work in progress because I know that if I get my eight hours, I feel wonderful the next day. You know, life is happening and I can't always go to bed at the time that I should. But then in the morning, you got to wake up because, you know, I got a kid that's going to school and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that is still a work in progress. But um, I'm definitely doing better than I used to for someone that's had insomnia for more than 20 years. So, but yeah, still working on it. <laughs> Aren't we always, I, I just call myself the whip because I am, I'm work in progress. And what I've realized, and you said something that is really important to me. So sometimes that day, it's just not working for you and that's okay. Yes. You just try again the next day and you don't always have to be perfect. And what I used to do was beat myself up over that. Mm -hmm. And I've said, I can't do that anymore. I can't treat myself that way. Nope. And so I don't get to that point anymore exactly. where I'm like, you're a terrible person for not eating what you're supposed to eat. 
yes, give yourself grace. Even Dr. Wall says that, that, you know, give yourself grace. Don't don't beat yourself up over what happened yesterday. Just let's try our best today. And that's that's all there is to it. But yeah, listening to your body is extremely, extremely important. You know, not getting to that point where you're like, okay, I really hurt myself by not stopping, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like this downward spiral and I got to lift myself up out of it. And so I just have stopped that completely. Now, tell us, you know, this has been quite the journey for you. And now, you know, with changes going on in your life and making these that I think are going to be not only essential to you, but they're going to help other people so much. So tell us what's been your proudest experience, proudest accomplishment in all of this. I think getting out of the scooter has to be my proudest accomplishment because initially when I got disabled, um, every time I left the house, you know, I wouldn't need the scooter. Or if I went shopping, then I would ride around in their, you know, store scooter and all of that. So yeah, getting out of that and working my way through, I was in PT rehabbing for probably two years continuously. And it's still something I work on and my, you know, my, my exercise, I, I don't joke with my exercise, basically. And I've done so many things and it was slow, but when I look at where I was and where I am now and the fact that I don't need those devices anymore, I'm like, yes, I, I you know, something shifted there. So that, that has got to be my proudest moment, especially because when you have a diagnosis of PPMS, it's usually just downhill. There is no better. There's no, and there was no precedent for me yeah. of better, but I was able to achieve it. So, and I'm working on the cognitive part. <laughs> I am, I am. I'm, I'm working on the cognitive part too. You know, I don't intend to just stay here and be like, oh, you know, my brain doesn't work. I'm going to do my best to see how I can continue to optimize it. And that's just one more testimony of how living into your core value of faith, spirituality mm -hmm. is really, you know, it gives you that umph yes. to take it to the next level. Because like you said, there's no like handbook. Mm -hmm. And if seeing the model of this is what it's going to be, this is my reality, it's really easy to sink into that. Yes. And I'm not saying like feeling bad for yourself. I'm not, I'm not going in that direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I am though saying, you know, it's easy to get bogged down by it. Yes. And eventually mental illness comes into play. Oh yeah. And whether it's depression or the anxiety, having to make adjustments to use mobility aids and things, it, it's, it's definitely weighing. And the fact that you were able to push through is going to give so many other people in that situation the inspiration that they can look toward and help that they can seek out from you yes. to possibly get to the results that you have received. Maybe not identically, but at least progress. And that's the thing. I'm like, you know, nobody can assure you that, oh, you know, this is where you are now. This is where you're going to be if you do my program or whatever. But there will be a shift. There is no way that you will take those measures and there will not be a shift from where you were before, you know. 
So (laughs) I think getting your mind right in that space is the first step in figuring out, you know, what your goals are and then trying to achieve those goals incrementally and celebrating along the way, I think is so important. Even if you say, you know, my goal today is get out of the house you know, you're, you're reaching that goal and, and celebrating that, whether it's large or small. Yeah, that is true. Because Napoleon Hill says, you know, if your mind can conceive and believe it, then it can achieve it, you know. So it all starts in the mind. You have, you have to first believe that it can happen. And then, you know, figure out how you want to do it and take action. <laughs> yeah, that's the taking action part is kind of tough for me. <laughs> Because I can plan it and I can say I'm going to do it, but the taking action, sometimes that's where the help comes in. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would reach out to someone like you to actually, you know, push me a little bit and to hold me accountable for the things that I had set out. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for you about this program. What is next for you in that area? So once you have your your program, your course ready, what's going to be that next step? And when can we expect to see these things? I'm really hoping that, you know, I'll be able to put it out there sometime in 2022. Yes. And it's possible that I might write a book, you know, about my MS experience. Because I I wrote a book before in the past. That was way before MS though. But I do like to write. I used to blog Mm -hmm. a lot and all that. Of course, I got away from all of that for years and years. But I definitely see myself getting back into, you know, writing and all of that, too. And just continue to inspire, be a light, you know. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that even the writing is so beneficial for yourself. It is. Um, Just processing everything that's going on and it can really help. So in that respect, what things bring you the most joy? Honestly, just seeing people in the MS and autoimmune space win, just seeing seeing other people like me win, that does bring me joy. <laughs> it inspires me when other people are doing well mm-hmm. and winning in that in that respect too. Yes. So you're really lucky too, because you have this amazing family support behind you. Yes. How have they helped in your journey? I remember in the early days, I, I couldn't, I couldn't function around the house. I would do my half day at work and I'd be so tired that I really wasn't useful for anything else. And our, we had a kid that's you know, was still in elementary school. My husband would, he did all the cooking, all the cleaning. He went to the birthday parties and hung out with the mamas. And so it's a lot. My parents were also very helpful and instrumental. And there were times when, you know, I'd be scheduled for surgery and they'd come over from Nigeria and help. We did lose my mom earlier this year though. So, but yeah, you know, her memories are are wonderful and we, we hold onto that dearly and stuff. I have a brother too. He's been really helpful. My mother-in-law and my in-laws in general, my mother-in-law would actually research MS and send me articles. I remember once she sent me an article about Aquavus before it came out. And I was like, wow, mom, that's, you know, the medication that I am planning to be on once it hits the market. But, you know, it just shows she's thinking of me if she's, you know, sending me articles about MS mess and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really touching. I didn't have that much of a problem kind of trying to explain to them what it was or convince them. Now, they didn't, you know, of course, nobody knows 100% what it is, but they, 
I would say my experience with my family has definitely been different from a lot of, you know, what I hear a lot of people with MS talk about, about people ridiculing them, people thinking they're exaggerating, maybe they're not really sick. And because I have a friend who's older, she's about 70 years old or whatever, and she has a son that doesn't even believe she has MS, just completely in denial. And that is really, I think that's hurtful. When you say the person doesn't have it, you're not even trying to understand what they're going through, you're just like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. That's got to be pretty devastating when people that are the closest to you Mm -hmm. don't understand or don't want to seek that understanding Mm -hmm. from you. And I know my support system, I I don't know how I could have, especially when I had my major relapse, Mm -hmm. gotten through that with my close friends and family. And having that support system there just means so much. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to be able to focus on my needs Mm. because they're so supportive. So I think that that's really pertinent. Yeah. So I just can't express to you how lovely it has been to talk to you today. And I'm just going to have this mental picture of your big smile in my head (laughs) all day. It's going to get me through. And so I, I just thank you so much. I know you're going through a lot of transition right now with work and things. And it just means a lot that you took the time today to talk to us because I know it's going to benefit so many people in our community. From coming all the way from riding that scooter and getting the Ocrevus infusion, doctors, they shouldn't take away that hope from us. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're going to be that person in that space that's really going to help empower us giving ourselves grace and celebrate each other when we win. I think that those are all really key elements that we talked about today. I want to thank you again for being here and everybody listening. If you're interested in digging deeper into your core values, please visit my website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you're going to find a guide that's going to take you through that discovery process because we really do deserve to live our best lives. And like Dr. Taylor, living into those core values of spirituality, it makes a huge difference in your life when you have that focus and purpose. So thank you so much again. I want you to keep thriving and we will need some updates from you along the way. Thank you so much, Edie. This has been really wonderful. I really appreciate you for having me on and I can't wait to do more things with you. Yay. Will you please tell people where they can find you if they want to reach out? I'm on Instagram as well as Clubhouse and in both places, it's at Falake Taylor MD. And then my website is um, falaketaylormd.com. And there are really some terrific resources on her website. Also, I really encourage you to reach out, especially if you're in that primary progressive space. So again, Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Edie. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.